They're the people that we Brummies don't associate with in North Yorkshire men in Britain. Thanks, mate. Hey, we're in Galatians. Hey, welcome. If you're uh, new here, we've been going through this series in Galatians. Some of this may sound, uh, some of it may sound quite shocking, depending on your church background. Uh, but uh, can I encourage you, if you are interested in the subject, to, to follow the whole series, all the way back from chapter 1 to where we are presently in our series, which is chapter 4. So we're looking at this book called the Galatians. It's important to remember. Just Let me just throw this out. It's always important to remember this when we're, doing, when we're teaching the Bible, is uh, when we're reading the Bible, that it wasn't written to you, silly. Okay, the first lesson I learned when I went to my first Proclamation Trust conference, the Bible wasn't written to you, silly. Who was Galatians written to? Galatia. And if we don't understand that, we'll never get a proper grasp of what it's teaching us. Okay, first thing, the Bible was written to the Galatians in this book. And the second thing, it's been written by who? Who is from what background? Jewish. So that's the other thing that's important to remember. He's, he's writing a Jew to Galatians who are Gentiles. And that sets the context for Galatians. Really important aspect of Galatians. Written by a Jew to Gentiles. To Galatian Gentiles. Ultimately, it will have an effect for us because we too are the church. But it can only speak to us after it's spoken to the Galatians. Do we get that? It has to speak to them first. In other words, we have to read it through the grid of the Galatians' circumstances. Just a bit of intro on, on how we're going to handle Galatians. Look, I'm sure you've all had this experience. You go and get something from your you know, store cupboard, your kitchen cupboard, a can of air. Uh, Nearly says kind of worms. We don't normally use worms in cooking. Uh, well, I don't know what you guys do in Oz, but we don't in Britain. Uh, a can of sweet corn. I think I've got a picture of one here. Uh, I did this pretty recently. Okay. Uh, I opened it and they tasted awful. Absolutely awful. And then I realized, next slide. And that's because I opened these about a year or two ago. And then when they tasted awful, because I realized when I looked at the bottom of the can that they were meant to have been consumed by. 2010, like 70 years earlier, okay? I do not recommend eating food that's seven years out of date. But here's the issue, you see. And I want to say to you, that really sums up the book of Galatians. Somebody tell me what I mean. That sums up the book of Galatians. Somebody tell me what I mean. It's out of date. What's out of date? What? Not the book. What is out of date? The food. The covenant, the law. And you're going to see this morning that the law had stamped underneath it what? A used by date. And I want to suggest, and in fact, this is the message of Galatians, just as few food consumed beyond this used by date can be fatal, seriously, okay, the law consumed beyond its sell-by date will condemn a man to hell. That's what Paul says in Galatians. That the law... Pardon? Oh, yes, you would. Consumed beyond its sell-by date 
will condemn a man to hell. That's Paul's point. Now, we're, not gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna get some of that from Galatians 4. We've got some of that already from chapters 1, 2, and 3, uh, and 4. Look, let me give you a couple of intro texts. Luke 16, 16, something we have to appreciate. Jesus is talking. What is he telling us about the sphere and region of the proclamation of law. What's he saying in that verse? Someone read it out to me. I'll come over here. The law is Moses, the prophets, his, his, his counterparts. Until when were they in date? Until when were their words taught? Someone tell me. Until John the Baptist. Can you see what Jesus is doing to the law system, the whole of the law system? What's he doing to it? He's, you know, yeah, he's doing that, but he's giving it what? He, what's he telling us about it? It has a use-by date. Can you see it? What's his use-by date? John. Once John comes, what, ha what happens to the law? It's no longer proclaimed. That's the point. It's got us to end. But no, no, I'll give you another one, Romans 10. Romans 10 is even clearer. What does, when, when Jesus came, because remember John pointed to Jesus, what happened to law preaching? It ended. It's absolutely clear. Christ became the end of that product. The product is the law. Christ is what ceases that thing from being in effect. It's littered all through the Bible. I can't get, uh, do it all in one sermon this morning, but it's littered throughout the Bible that Christ is the end of the law. That's an intro, really, of, of chapters 1, 2, and 3. So if you have a listen, re-listen to those, we should hopefully come to this point. So we're going to continue from there and then find out where Paul is taking the Galatians and consequently where he's taking us after he's taken the Galatians there. So number one, we are, Paul writes, we are sons and thus heirs of Christ through the redemption of the cross. Okay, sons is important here. Do we have any daughters here? You don't want to be a daughter. Okay, I, look, we're selling sonship here. Go and sell everything you have and buy sonship. Why do we say that? Only the sons are the heirs in biblical thinking. It's really important. And ladies, just to get you thinking, this is all very male-orientated. Let me just give one for you. Who does Jesus marry? The bride. There you go, okay? So he marries the bride, okay? But you can only inherit salvation by being a son, the Bible mixes its metaphors all the time, uh, and, 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 it's, and, it's, and there's equality there for sure. Please believe me. So look, sons and thus heirs of Christ through the redemption of, of the cross. So it's verse 1 of chapter 4. What I'm saying, says Paul, is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave. So Paul is continuing his thought. We know that because how does verse 1 begin? He's elaborating on what he's already said. So he's continuing the theme. His subject is the abolition of the law. Now that Christ has come, he's the end of the law. And he's going to illustrate this by Roman life. Okay, He's going to take a child in Roman life, a, a, the son of a, um, of a wealthy estate owner in Roman life, does not take occupation of his inheritance so far as the father is alive, and in fact it can happen during his lifetime, but he takes 
occupation of his inheritance when the father sets the time. So that will be, you know, can be well within his lifetime. So he receives his inheritance at the point of the, 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 the father sets. And what Paul's point is this, he's going to take that Roman illustration about inheriting uh, our father's estate and apply it to Christianity. It's verse 3. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of this world. So Paul, remember we said it matters who's writing and who the recipients are? So Paul is writing to Galatians, Gentiles. So when he says, when we were children, who is he referring to? Yes, it's important to understand that. He may be writing to Galatians, but he's not including them in there. They're Gentiles. So the we there is the Jewish tribe that Paul belongs to. He's writing to Gentiles. So he's already used this Roman illustration that the Roman son only gets his inheritance once the father's stipulated date has come to pass. He's now going to say, so also when we were children, we were under the slavery of, this, of the basic principles of this world. So in a Roman, in a, in a Roman home, they would have servants. That servant would have as much right as he were to the property as the son. Because until the, the date of his inheritance had come, he had no access to it. That slave was as well off in a Roman house, household as the son up until the date of his inheritance. Up until, then, up until then, he was equivalently a slave. Now look what Paul is saying. He's talking about the Jewish people. So also, when we were children, when the Jewish people were children, okay, or in this case, when they were before Jesus, what was their state in this world? And this is a shocking reality. As I said to you, there's going to be a lot of shocking elements to this sermon. So when we Jews were children, when we were in Jesus, before Jesus, rather, what was the condition of the Jewish people under Mosaic law? Slaves. You could get stoned in first century Israel for saying that. But Paul is saying it. He's writing from a safe place, by the way, when he says this. So Paul is writing to the, to the Galatians. He's telling them that the Jewish people were under a basic form of slavery. How does that work? Someone explain that to me. How was the Mosaic law in any form like slavery? You had to keep it. But who could keep it? None of it. No one could keep it. No one could keep the law. And as a consequence, no one, by attempting to keep the law, got what? The inheritance. Can you see the parallels? Just like a Roman son doesn't get the inheritance until it becomes, uh, until, until the date set. So under law, no Jew through law, ever got the inheritance or the promise of blessing of salvation because the Lord only kept people in slavery. And we've said this before. How did they become sons? How did Jewish people get the inheritance? We said this last week. Does anyone remember? Because it wasn't through law. The law could not save. It enslaves. It bounds. It condemns. Remember we said the Pharisee and the tax collector, the Pharisee was keeping the law, but Jesus says he went home condemned to hell because he was trying to keep the law, which was the man who went home justified. It wasn't the one who was trying to keep the law. 
He was the one who? He's the one who knew he failed the law. You see, that's the difference. The, the, the reason Jesus condemned the Pharisees is that they assumed by keeping law they would go to heaven. And Jesus says, no, it doesn't work like that. Keeping the law only enslaves you because no one can ever keep the law. So Paul's point is in, in verse 3, he's talking about Jewish people in slavery. Verse 4, but when the time had fully come, okay, so when Jesus had come, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law. Here's a salvific structure now, okay? To, uh, Paul is saying that the Jews weren't converted through Mosaic law, they were enslaved by it. Okay? As children. Like in a Roman household, they weren't any better than anybody else, but that enslavement ended when? Verse 4 and 5. When did that enslavement end? When Jesus had come. And he came, and all those people enslaved by law who were throwing themselves in God's mercy, looking for a savior, Jesus did what to them? He, yeah, he redeemed them. That's his point. To, to, redeem those that, so to redeem those under the law that we may receive the full rights of sons. He's talking about Jews still. He's saying to the Gentiles, I'm telling you that Jesus came to redeem because they were enslaved. Remember what, what, what the, the Pharisees said to Jesus when he says, you know, you need freeing? What did they say to him? We're not slaves of anyone. Remember? And what did he say to them? You are. You are. And you don't have the Abraham as your father. Who did he say their father was? The devil. The devil. Okay, that's why he talks about setting people free. And what Paul is telling them now, talking to Galatians about Jewish people, that God sent his son to redeem Jewish people from the slavery of law. Because they weren't really sons of God. Through law. Because the only way you become a son of God is through faith. Hence, to redeem those under law that we may receive the full rights of sons talking about jewish people verse 5 now because you are sons who's he now speaking to galatians okay he's, he's he's moving on okay he's no longer talking about the we the jewish people but because you are sons he's telling the, the gentiles they are sons okay what's made them sons this was a church he planted. What made the Gentile Galatians sons? Yes, it was. It was. It was particularly faith in Jesus. Okay, and he said this: because you are sons, God sent His Spirit of His Son into your hearts, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So he's so he's moved from the Jewish people. He's now talking to Gentiles. And he's saying, "Look, because you are sons." Because you came to faith in Jesus, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. He's including them in that, verse 7, so that you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you an heir also. So what was the issue with Galatians? What were they trying to do? They had become converted through faith in Jesus, but what were they trying to do now? 
become Jews in order to earn God's proper favor because they felt their faith wasn't enough. They needed to do something extra because Peter was demonstrating by not eating kosher that you needed to do more. So they were now turning to law, and Paul is writing to them and he's telling them, look, you don't need to turn to law because God has already made you a son and an heir of God, and he wasn't through Moses. Hence, from now on, the Christian's perspective and, and the Galatians' perspective, or what Paul is saying to them is, look, you're already a son. Why are you trying to do more to please God? Why are you trying to add to your experience? Why are you thinking there's another step to go? You already are sons of God. You already possess His Spirit. And remember, possessing the Spirit brought what? It brought salvation. It brought a promised land and he brought it into a worldwide community and he said to him look you already have all of this you don't need law it's why paul can say for me to live is christ then if you have done any mountain climbing um anybody been up up everest nobody no not even you okay no no norman oh sarah's been up everest Oh, really? So the walking one is... Oh, it's near Everest. There you go. Well, but I'm going to stick to Everest only because I'm saying that is the highest climbable mountain in the world, unless something's changed because mountains grow. Has it changed? Mountains do grow, seriously. Has it changed? It's still Everest, isn't it? Okay, look, if, you got to the, if your passion was to climb the highest mountain and you got to the top of Everest, okay, what would that mean to your pursuit of climbing the highest mountain no more to do do. when you get to the top of everest that's it there's not another mountain you've achieved your purpose it's complete it's done there's nothing more to do how's that illustrate our sermon this morning how's that illustrate what we're saying this morning when you're in jesus you've got to the top that's the point. You, there's no more mountains to climb. No law, nothing to do, no requirement to meet, no obligations to keep. Our faith in Jesus is the top of the mountain. If you're a Christian, by putting faith in Jesus, trusting in his death, surrendering your heart to him, you've climbed Everest. You've reached the peak And there's no further law you need to keep. It's done. Your sons and those heirs through the redemption of the cross. That's what Paul is saying to the Galatians. What is the matter with you? What is the matter with you? You're there. I left you. Where did Paul leave the Galatians when he planted the church? He left them on top of the mountain. I left you on the summit. What are you doing now? Trying to climb another doomed mountain. You've reached the peak of the greatest mountain in the world. There's no more climbing. It's why, remember what he said in Matthew 11? Come unto me all who are weary, heavy laden. From what? From what? 
from the law. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden from Moses, who beats you and beats you and beats you and beats you. And, says Paul, uh, Jesus, I will give you rest. He puts you on the summit and he says to you, there's no more climbing to do. It's an incredible faith. An incredible faith. So a turning to Moses is a, uh, sorry, sons and thus heirs of Christ through redemption. Second point. How are we doing for time? Well, two hours to go. Okay. <laughs> The second point, a turn into Moses is a reversion, reversion to the slavery of our former existence. This is why you've got to stop climbing, for goodness sake, stop climbing. Okay? A turn into Moses is a reversion to the slavery of our former existence. It gets really serious. Verse 8, formerly... When you did not know God, he's talking to who? Is he talking about Jews? Is he talking about Galatians? Gentiles. Gentiles. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not God. What's he saying about the, the, these, these pagan Gentile Galatians before Jesus? What were they doing? What was their lifestyle like? No, no, sorry, not the Galatians, the Galatians, not the Jews, the Galatians. What, before they came to faith, what did their lives look like? Yeah, that they were, by nature, what, to what? They were slaves to their paganism. That was their state. They were doomed, condemned. And look, he's, he's going to use this. He wants to look, he's saying, formerly, before you came to faith in Jesus Christ, you were slaves, Galatians. Slaves to multiple, multiple pagan deities that you sacrificed to and you threw your sons to and you offered money to and you almost killed yourself to sacrifice to these gods. You were their slaves. That's his point, yeah? That's his point. But look at verse 9. But now that you know God, or rather known by God, what's happened to these Galatians as a result of Paul's evangelistic activity? What has happened to them since they heard the gospel and to their state of slavery to pagan gods? It's changed. They've now become? What have they now become? Known by God, or rather known. Or they know God. That is, they've come to salvation. But listen to this. And this is where it gets scary. How is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles, those paganistic, weak and miserable principles that made them into slaves? How is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? That's a very complex verse of the Bible. Someone tell me what it means if he comes back. Someone tells me what he means. But they're not. They're not going back to the old ways. Thank you for trying. They're not. What are they actually doing? Tell me. These Galatians have not given up Jesus and gone back to paganism. These Galatians are doing what? They're adding Moses to their faith. They're not going back to the paganism. They're adding Moses to their faith. But what is Paul saying, adding Moses to your faith, is the equivalent of... All over again. Thank you, Peter. <laughs> yeah, but it's not that easy to understand because half the world doesn't understand these verses. Seriously. 
That's what he's saying. The Galatians are not becoming re-enslaved by paganism by turning to paganism. They're becoming re-enslaved to paganism by turning to Moses. Moses is enslaving them. Moses is doing to the Galatians the very thing that paganism did to the Galatians before their faith. That's how dangerous Moses is. Can you see the point? By turning to him, it's equivalent to going back to paganism. He's saying, you might as well go back to sacrificing your kids. Because, because the, the effect is equivalent. You're enslaved and has been enslaved. There's no hope for you. Verse 9. You are, and look, then he explains what they're doing. He explains what's enslaving them in black and white, just in case they're thick. Listen to this. You are, you are observing, this is what they're doing, special days, special months, and special seasons of years. What religion does that sound like? Judaism. Okay? He goes, you're doing Judaism on top of your Christianity and it's making you a slave. Special days, we'll have the next slide please. Special days is a reference to Sabbath and the feasts. They fell on special dates. You read through the Old Testament. Months are the reoccurring monthly celebrations, such as the Feast of Trumpets. Seasons, they're the seasonal events, such as the Feast of Tabernacles. Passover, the ears, what was the reoccurring ears one? The year of Jubilee. Can you see what these Gentiles are doing? They are reverting to Judaism in order to please God on top of their faith in Jesus. And as, as look, they don't sound that dangerous, do they? Look, keeping a Sabbath, who cares? And keeping a few feasts of tabernacles and trumpets. I mean, they don't sound very dangerous, do they? They just seem like harmless. But Paul says it's the equivalent of returning to slavery because ultimately doing this stuff is the slippery slope towards what? It's the thin end of the wedge towards what? In the enslavement of Moses. They're not harmless. They're the slippery footsteps towards full-blown Judaism and slavery. That's why Paul is angry with them. So the next slide, please. Formally, let me explain it for you. Formally, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. That's paganism. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable principles, principles that lead to slavery? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again through new means of enslavement? You're observing special days, months and seasons and years. You're observing Mosaic law. You are returning to paganism and slavery through the Mosaic Covenant. That's what Paul is saying to the Galatian Jews. And therefore, in verse 11, here is frustration. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts preaching salvation to you. I fear for you. What a waste of time. Me plunking you on Mount Everest. I'm wasting my time. You're no better now than, when, than the state I found you in, which was enslavement to paganism. You've gone right back to where you started, but not by going back to sacrificing animals, but by going instead to Moses. You've achieved your former state. And listen to him. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. A turning to Moses 
is a reversion to the slavery of our former existence. The message for us is this, Christian. Before Christ, before faith, okay, we're now moving from Galatia to Living Word Church. Before faith, what were, what were we? What was our condition? Slaves to sin. Slaves to career. Slaves to the pursuit of pleasure. Slave to materialism. Slave to the family. You know, you can make be a slave to your family. Slave to self-interest. This was our condition before Jesus. Don't sit there thinking, oh, they were horrible people that sacrificed to these gods. They were slaves to them. So did we. We were sac- Every time we pursue money, we sacrifice into the goal of materialism. God of materialism. And so before faith, we were slaves, slaves to the gods of this world who are not gods, whether we worship money, sex, drugs, or commodities, families, career, education, religion, whatever else, we were enslaved by them. But when we came to faith in Jesus, what did he do to our enslavement? He set us free. If we now turn to, and I often say this, this is the most dangerous part of the Bible, all everything beyond these pages. If we now turn to those pages, right, without due thought to what they are and what purpose they sold and to their sell-by date and start thinking, this is how I make God happy with me, what will that do to you? It'll re-enslave you. And re-enslavement doesn't mean you just have a, a, a more arduous journey to heaven. Re-enslavement means you don't get to heaven. That's the point. You don't get there. Because there's no pathway to heaven through Moses. There's only a pathway to heaven through Jesus. Formally. So friends, let's be wary of the trap that the Galatians are falling into. A turning to Old Testament law in whatever form, even in the most seemingly Undangerous things. What do we say about people who dabble in something? What does dabbling lead to? To full blown. I said this to young courting couples. Let me throw this out. I don't know if there's any young courting couples here. Don't dabble with your partner in sex, in any former version of it. Because it almost always leads to the full-blown thing. And it's a sin in Jesus' sight. Okay? Don't, by doing a bit of law, we're dabbling in Moses, and dabbling almost always results in full-blown selling of our souls to it. Here's what Luther says. Martin Luther is perhaps one of the greatest men ever to have lived in our world he is the quintessential character in the what of the 16th century? The Reformation. If it wasn't for Luther, this is, no one, this is no overstatement, if it wasn't for Luther, George, you would not be sitting here today. If you were going to church, you'd be enslaved in Catholicism. It's because of Luther and his 95 theses that he nailed to the church door of Wittenberg that triggered the Reformation that liberated the evangelical wing of the Catholic Church. 
the free church. This is what he says. Moses has nothing to do with us. If I accept Moses in one commandment, just one, I would have to accept the entire Moses. And Paul says that causes you to be concerned, cursed. Moses is dead. His rule ended when Christ came. He is to the Christian no further service. Do you get that? Can I, can I emphasize that? Moses is dead. Buried. The law ceased. Who lives? Who lives? Jesus is alive. And it's him that we embrace. Luther was absolutely passionate about preserving the gospel of faith alone in Jesus alone through grace alone for the glory of God alone. The, the solas of the Reformation that came out of the Reformation, Luther was passionate for them. And so he tells us about Moses and says, you avoid Moses like the plague. He's dead. He's of no further service to Christianity. A few years ago, I watched the, the film uh, about a boy in India who gets in uh, uh, loses his family, Lion. Has anybody seen the movie? Uh, the book's even better. It's a fantastic read. goes into some of the detail of the boy's life. So he, he, look, he fell asleep on a train, uh, and then the train went hundreds of miles away to Calcutta, uh, and he was lost. He didn't know where he was from. He's a young boy. He didn't know how to pronounce the name of his village. And eventually ended up in an orphanage, and then eventually ended up in Tasmania. Okay? And the book's about how he retraced his family eventually all these decades later. But when he was, when he was in Calcutta and lost, this guy rescued him, a train worker. And he looked like he was safe, he'd been rescued. But he realized that that train worker was involved in the sex trade. And he was now more in danger in a place where he thought he was being rescued than he was in his former place on the train lines. What I'm saying is this, friends, is having come to faith, we have to be wary of deliverers. The law is actually a dangerous means of trying to please Jesus. You please Jesus quintessentially by what is the primary way, what is the primary work that God has given you to do. John 6, the work of God is this. What is the primary way you please God? Jesus, God. It is that, that's the secondary one. What? Believing in him. That's it, simple, easy, peasy, lemon, squeezy. Okay? You believe in him. Whoever, what's, what's the most famous verse in all the world tell us? And we don't believe it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That, whoever does lots of Moses. What does he say? Believes in him. John 5, whoever believes has been has translated from Death to life. 
our entire faith, that's a wrong word, our entire salvation is anchored in faith in Jesus. Christian, don't ever, ever pollute that, add to that, compensate it. It's enough. Let me give you one final example. When, we were, when our kids were very little, they just had milk in their early days. Okay? And some people used to say to us, how will they survive without food? Why haven't you given them solids by now? And they were still on food, milk for a few months. What they weren't aware of is that that milk contained everything a child needs to exist. If anybody comes to you and says to you, do a bit of Moses, just a little bit. You tell them, faith in Jesus is everything that I need for salvation. Because if you turn to Moses, a turning to Moses, it's a reversion of our former way of slavery. I'll finish. Let me give you one minute to round up what I want to say. Let me say, look, most of us here aren't in any danger of being enslaved to Moses. We're all in danger of being enslaved to something. Some of us here are in danger of being enslaved to what we do for the church. And our focus on what makes us right with God is not on Jesus, it's on I clean. I paint. I set out the chairs. I host services. Some of us, our confidence in what we're going to heaven is because I come here every week. I've only missed two this year. And we come because that gives us the confidence I must be in because I go to church. For some of us, it's in our rank. I hold an office. I'm a pastor. Or I hold spiritual gifts. gifts. I cast out demons. I prophesy. Each of us are in danger to some form of God outside of Jesus. Here's what Jesus says about all such people. You know the verse, I'm sure. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name? And I will tell them what? Plainly. I never knew you. Christian, that tells me and you. We may not be in danger to Moses. Moses is long gone and dead. But we may be in danger to what we're doing within Christianity as a new form of law. It must be, must only be, faith in Jesus alone, by grace alone, for the glory of God alone. Hence why Paul said, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Notice there's no m or s, uh, s in that. It's just Jesus. I leave you this morning with Jesus. I leave you on the summit. Don't get climbing any other mountain.